The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Good morning, my name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. I want to say welcome to all of you. And Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year. Uh, I want to take a minute and share with you a little bit about what we're doing for the next four weeks. Uh, we are this morning beginning a series called Living as the Family of God. Jason Jones, our pastor of counseling and care, is going to be preaching the kind of introductory sermon here in a moment for this series. Um, as a church, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. Uh, we didn't make that up because it seemed like a clever thing for a church to do. Uh, we're just trying to be obedient to what Jesus commanded and commissioned his followers to do. At the end of his earthly ministry, after his resurrection, before he ascended to the Father, he told his people, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. His mission to his people was to make disciples make disciples of Jesus, that we'd help people learn what it means to be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. And we'd then, in that space, learn together to obey and to live our lives according to everything that Jesus commanded. And so our understanding of a disciple is someone that, that's been reconciled to God by grace, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That to be reconciled to your creator, to your maker, to the God of the universe is a work of grace through which we trust in Jesus and who he is, what he's done through his death and resurrection and are brought into a relationship with God. Not because of what we've done, not because of all the good things we do or how hard we're trying, but because of what Jesus has done for us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the mission of making disciples is more than reconciliation with God. It starts there. But then we're, as a community, learning to be with Jesus and to follow his way of life learning to actually commune with God, to spend time with him, to pray, to talk to him, to, to engage with him, to abide in him and in his love, and to pay attention to his presence in our daily life, and to follow the way that Jesus taught us. He told his disciples, teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Not just teach them to pray some prayer so they get to go to heaven when they die. Not just teach them to trust in these kind of doctrinal beliefs so that they can be right with God. It's be reconciled to God and then learn the way Jesus taught us to be human. And that's what we're trying to do as a community. We're trying to learn from Jesus, not just what it means to be reconciled to God, but in the place of that relationship, to follow the way of Jesus, to be with Jesus, and to follow his way of life. And so every semester, uh, we take time to focus on a theme of discipleship. In the fall, in the August month, uh, we normally take about four weeks to focus on a theme of being with Jesus. Last fall, we looked at the theme of prayer. How do we follow the way Jesus taught us to pray? and to spend time with our Heavenly Father. Last January, we looked at this theme of living the mission of God, that Jesus lived a life on mission, bringing the gospel and the glory of God into relationships around the world. How do we engage in the city around us and live on mission? This semester, we're focusing on this idea of living as the family of God. And Jesus had a lot to say about how we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. When he reconciled us to God as Father, he wasn't just bringing us into a relationship with God. He actually brought us also into a new kind of relationship with one another. In fact, in John 13, Jesus said, by this will all people know that you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. That something about the way we relate to one another 
shows us to be followers of Jesus. Something about having love for one another and all the ways that love is manifested shows the world around us something about what God is like. And if we're honest, if we're honest, as you look at the nature of the church, the church around the world, even our own community, it doesn't always feel like a community that's marked by love. It doesn't always feel like that. Just like the world out there inside the church, there's, there's vitriolic animosity, there's divisions, there's anger, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. There's sometimes hurt that we don't address and we avoid. There's sometimes a lack of any care about reconciliation. There's polarization and tribalism. There's contempt for other people, other Christians. And that's not the way of Jesus. And so if we're a community that's learning to follow the way of Jesus, that we want to follow his way of life, then we have to take time and say, what did Jesus have to say about our relationships within the body of Christ? And he had a lot to say. And so we're going to take four weeks to unpack some of that. We're going to do some work looking back at the kinds of things and relationships and environments that have shaped us. We believe that all of us are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. But the way that that looks in each of our lives is shaped by the environments we grew up in, some of which was showing us something of God's beauty, some of which was different than what God has designed us for. And so we get to look at that and say, okay, how do we bring these things to Jesus for forgiveness, for healing, for redemption, and for transformation? Our hope as a community is that we would grow together as a community that reflects the love of Christ towards one another and in front of the world around us. And when we do that, we really believe that God gets glory from the way we relate to one another. It glorifies God, and it brings joy to the world. So we're going to take four weeks on our Sundays and talk about different aspects and elements of that, what God is doing to bring us into his family and to teach us the way that he's called us in Christ to relate to one another. Uh, in addition to our Sunday series, uh, we also provided a work uh, book that is available on your way out. It just gives some practical tools, some resources, some paradigms, and some frameworks that can help you engage in this in your own life. Reflect a little bit deeper. When we gather on a Sunday, you're, you're receiving teaching as we open up God's word, to try to bring it to bear on our community. Uh, that's a meaningful part of how we grow, but it's insufficient. To learn information and to engage in a Sunday gathering is insufficient for transformation and growth. We really have to begin to work this out in our relationships, in our life, with new practices and prayer and repentance and coming to Jesus and working on things, meditating on his word, bringing things to Jesus again and again and working that out in community. And so this uh, workbook is just a resource. It's a, it's a collection of tools that we think can help you mine into these things in deeper and more meaningful ways to the end that we would grow as followers of Jesus, that we really would learn to follow his way of life and the way we relate to one another as the family of God. Our prayer is that God would do beautiful things. We are also going into another election year and historically uh, around, the, around the nation. That has brought a lot of animosity and polarization, but it's not just out there. That's also brought a lot of animosity within the church, divisions and contempt, and I don't think that's what Jesus wants for our community. I think he wants our community to grow in the way we love one another. Even when there's a lot of contempt outside of these walls, it'd be a, we'd be a community that would show the world something different, that Jesus' way is, is different, and our prayer is that God would grow us as, as a community of people following the way of Jesus. And so encourage you to open up your hearts. We're going to be reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 2, and then Jason will uh, preach for us. Good morning. As Gary said, we are reading from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you in the pew. 
And if you don't have your own Bible at home, please feel free to take one of these Bibles with you as a gift from Park Church. If you're using the Pew Bible, our reading can be found on page 918. It's 918. Ephesians 2, starting in chapter, sorry, in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning to all of you. Happy New Year. I had a sermon prepared today, but then Gary pretty much preached everything that I (laughs) was going to preach. As I was going, listening to him, I was like, oh, I don't have much more than that. (laughs) So I'm just going to pray, and we'll go into communion. (laughs) I'm just kidding. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors uh, on staff here at Parks. A joy and an honor to be with you guys uh, today, kind of opening up God's word to see what he has to say to us. Let me pray for us. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you that you haven't uh, left us to wonder how it is that we are supposed to uh, operate and, and interact within the family of God. I thank you, Lord, that your uh, word displays beautifully again and again and again and again um, how we are supposed to interact, how uh, because of redeemed human beings uh, being found, covered by the blood of Jesus, we are to treat others. We are to think about who you are and who we are. And so, Lord, as we open this up today, I pray that above anything else that, that I might talk about, uh, that, that, that we might uh, kind of dive into here, would you set the eyes of our heart on you? Pray that if what people walk out of here today with is, um, Jesus is pretty awesome and he loves me and he's put me in a family, then that would be awesome, Lord. Uh, And only you can do that work, so would you please do it? We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to do something that I think is a little bit dangerous. Who watched Christmas movies this year? Uh Uh-huh, okay. Uh, Here's the real dangerous part, though. Throw out some of your favorites, if you would. I knew. That's the first one. That is the first one that came in the 90s. (laughs) This is why it's a little dangerous. (laughs) I also saw like on Netflix, there's some like really like crazy ones where like Santa's going around like killing people, which is pretty wild. But so yeah, there's some pretty wild ones which make it a little bit more dangerous, but give me some classics. I'll take Die Hard as a classic, John. White Christmas. Home Alone. Elf. Elf. Grinch. It's a one, oh, that's my favorite. It's a Wonderful Life is my favorite. 
I cry every stinking time. Home Alone's the one I want to come back to. Anybody watch Home Alone this year? Christmas classic, right? Hopefully I don't ruin it for you. Here. What I want to talk about for a second is the scene uh, the night before they're about to leave. Anybody remember it in their head? Can you kind of play it back in your head? They're all running around the house trying to get ready, trying to get all their stuff packed. It's craziness. Joe Pesci's in here. He's in his cop outfit, but he's not really a cop. Hopefully I didn't spoil it for you. He's a robber. He's going to rob the house. You got the pizza guy. He's already given his pizzas away, but he's waiting for his money, right? And he's like, I need to get paid. And everybody's running around like crazy. And then they, they go into the kitchen and what was bad already becomes worse. And eventually, uh, Kevin, who's really concerned about his cheese pizza, and he gets really mistreated by his brother, gets into a fight, because of course, you have to have in that movie something that gets the kid into the attic so that they can forget him. He can be left home alone. Kevin gets identified as the problem in that scene. But I want to submit to you, the family has so many dysfunctional patterns. And Kevin is essentially just learning how to operate within the family. What do we see in that scene? Again, if you can like remember it in your head, there's name calling, even from the adults. Shaming, cruelty, a lack of attention and presence. There's arguing and fighting. And Kevin is just one of the youngest. And he's learned the cultural norms and values of his family and the family system in which he lives. A heads up here, maybe should have mentioned this at the beginning. These next three to four weeks are going to be a little bit different for us. Typically what we do at Park is we preach through a book of the Bible, and we preach through that exegetically, just going as the Bible goes, covering what the Bible covers. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians here after we get through this sermon series. But these next, uh, this one and then the next three weeks, they're going to be a little bit more thematic. Bear with us. I'm going to try and throw as much scripture as I can in here today, and we'll get back to preaching through a book of the Bible when we hit 1 Corinthians, which I'm pretty excited for. But what I want to do today is dip our toe just a little bit into a a piece of a psychological model. And then I'd like to, uh, I'd like for us to see where the wisdom of this model model might be highlighted in scripture. And then we'll, we'll land the plane on the beauty of what Jesus has invited us into. Psychological model we're going to talk about a piece of is systems theory. Dr. Shelley Smith Acuna, uh, in her book, Systems Theory in Action, uh, Dr. Smith Acuna, by the way, is uh, in the Denver area. She has this definition of what a system is. Systems are defined as meaningful holes that are maintained by the interaction of their parts. Another definition might be this. Two or more parts 
interacting with one another through their behavior to maintain a reinforcing loop. I want to give you an example here that might help resonate. Think about your central heating system in your home. I know some of you might have boiler systems, but let's think about a central heating uh, system in your home. You have your furnace part that's going to be bringing in your air, warming the air, and then through a big fan, it is sending that hot air through your vents, right? That's a different part of your central heating system. That, uh, those vents are taking warm air through your home. Typically, the registers are going to be at the top of your rooms where the hot air comes out. Eventually, that air cools, comes down to the bottom, hits the return uh, register, sends that cold air back into your furnace to be reheated and then sent back out. Those are parts interacting together to maintain the whole. In this case, that's a mechanical system. Systems theory within psychology focuses on living emotional systems, the systems of people. The focus isn't so much on the individual parts of the living system, but on how the parts interact with one another to reinforce the norms, values, beliefs, and function of the whole. Systems that are meaningful wholes can be on a grand scale, they could be on a minute scale. So nations maintained by the interactions of their citizens. Businesses and organizations maintained by the interactions of the employees from the CEO down to the person who does the janitorial work. And families. Families act as a system, a meaningful whole maintained by the interactions of the various parts of the family. And as the various parts of the family interact with one another, the norms, the values, the beliefs, the function of the family is reinforced. Think back to Kevin and his home alone family. They act as a whole, maintained by their various interactions. And again, if you can bring the scene back to mind, they're reinforcing the norms of the family with one another. They're reinforcing what is important, how to treat one another, and how to function with one another. Here's some of the things that are being reinforced in that scene. It's okay to have a lack of presence with one another. It's all right to be so busy that we don't focus on one another. It is okay to ignore one another. And it's okay to name call, to shame, to be cruel, and to argue. Again, I hope I haven't ruined Home Alone for you. Like Kevin, our original family system, our family of origin, the family that we grew up in, likely taught and reinforced things in us. Things like who we are, how we should think about the world around us, who is God, and why or if he even matters. How to handle stress and anxiety. How to treat others. How to handle differences of opinion and belief. How to handle conflict. How to get your needs met. And so on and so on. Likely some of what was reinforced in our original family system was good, was honorable, 
And likely some of it was not and needs to be examined. But before we do that, I'd like to highlight a few places in scripture that I think indicate that beliefs and behavior are reinforced and passed down from generation to generation to generation. You don't have to turn to these. We're just going to kind of work through some. Genesis 1, the Lord creates Adam and Eve, and then he tells them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So go, have children. But does the Lord just want an earth full of humans? No. No. Genesis 18, 19, when talking about Abraham, the Lord says this, I have chosen him, Abraham, that he might command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Deuteronomy 4, starting in verse 9, Moses is talking to the Israelites. They're about to enter into the promised land, and Moses says this, Take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. A couple chapters later in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, this will probably be a familiar passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Essentially, you go about life with my commands on your heart. That's how you live and you teach that to your children. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Lastly, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, the Lord gives children into families generation after generation to be raised to know him and his ways. How a family interacts with one another, what beliefs norms, values, ways of operating and treating one another get reinforced as those individual parts interact is very important to the Lord. It's a part of God's good design for humanity. Good things can and should be reinforced in family systems. But we all know that's not the entire story. Sin ushers brokenness into the systems of families. Sin and brokenness are often what get reinforced. Right after the events of Genesis 3, Cain is in conflict with his brother Abel, and probably even more importantly, he's in conflict with God. And we read that what sin ushered into Cain's heart was the idea, the notion, 
that the best way for him to handle conflict was to kill his brother in his anger. And this has continued down through the line of Adam and Eve to this day. Some more Old Testament, more Old Testament stories. Abraham lies to protect himself. Jacob is a deceiver. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. David is an adulterer and a murderer. Solomon's love of foreign women turned his heart away from the Lord, and so on and so on throughout Old Testament history. And the Lord says something, I think, pretty key in Exodus 20, starting in verse 5. This is in the the Ten Commandments. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. The idea here isn't that children are punished for their, the sins of their fathers and mothers. What the Lord is saying is that fathers generally raise their children in such a way. They live before them in such a way that the father's sins become the children's sins. Lo and behold, we become like those who teach us and who we behold. You and I are born into families with a system to teach us what God is like, who we are before him, how we should respond to him, how we should treat others, both inside our family and out. And again, that's part of God's good design for our lives. But some of what we've learned from our original family system is not in line with God's will and should be changed, repented of, and left behind, but how, why, and what is it that should get left behind? To that, for that, we turn to a new family that has a revolutionary way of interacting with one another. If you would, turn to Matthew 12 in your Bible. Uh, Matthew 12, and we're going to be, we're going to start in verse 46. So this is in the middle of Jesus's ministry, and Matthew gives us an account uh, of this event. While he, Jesus, was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I don't know about you guys, but every time I read this account, there's something inside of me that goes, what? What? I think we have such strong, a strong sense of family, particularly in Western culture. Strong familial ties. And I'm not trying to say that that's a a bad thing. But what Jesus is doing here is redefining what is the most important family. 
As R.T. France writes in his commentary on Matthew, Jesus is defining the true family. Those who have allegiance to him and who do the will of God the Father are now brothers and sisters in the family of God. Now, if you would, flip to what was read earlier for us in Ephesians 2. We're going to read that section again. And again, as I read it, or as I read it again, be thinking about what Jesus, what we just read from Matthew 12, and what Jesus is redefining. Because it's the reason that Paul can say to the Gentiles who who were far off, who so longed to be part of God's family, what Jesus said and did at the cross is why Paul can now write, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, the whole family structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, Jesus, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want you to see, Paul doesn't just pull this theology out of midair. He didn't make it up. He got it from Christ. Jesus in his grace, transfers us into a new family of believers. Let this strike you. He did what he said he was going to do. And he invites us in. In him, we are now, those who believe by faith, are in the household of God. And that's a household that spans time and space. There's a decent amount of you in here. I don't know what everybody thinks about Park, Park Church. But Park Church is a local expression of that greater family. And you might have guessed this already, but churches are also living systems. They are emotional systems. We have parts that interact with one another to maintain the whole, and our parts are people. They are us. Some are going to be people who look like you, think like you, believe like you, and live like you. But even for those people, we all grew up in different family systems. Different things got reinforced. So how all that similarity gets played out is probably still going to take on a different expression. But then again, we all grew up in different family systems. So some people are probably going to be different than us. We have people in our church body from different life experiences. People from different cultures. People who have different skin colors and experiences within the systems of our world and our nation. And we have people with varying ideologies 
and politics. We reflect, I would say, with amazing similarity, the diversity of beliefs, values, experiences, ideologies, and politics that were represented in Jesus' disciples. Think Matthew and then Simon the Zealot. We also reflect with similarity the same diversity of beliefs that was in the church in Ephesus that Paul is writing to. And we reinforce things within our new family system as we interact, for good and for bad. And we're gonna cover some of those things over the next three to four weeks. But praise the Lord, and I truly mean it, praise God that he's given us in his word what he wants reinforced in this family's system. We're not left to wonder how it is that we're supposed to interact. He gives it to us. Here's some. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Humility. Truthfulness. Truthfulness about who God is as we interact with one another, but also truthfulness in our dealings with one another. Forgiveness. Sacrifice. Compassion. Servant-heartedness. These are all pulled from Scripture, and I, we could add many more, but there's one last one I want to touch on. Grace. We are sinners, enemies of God that have been brought near because of grace, not because we had our thinking and our beliefs and our norms and values right, but because of grace. Extend that same grace in your dealings with one another. What we're asking, what I'm asking is that you would take the next four weeks as a dedicated time to reflect on what you learned from your original family system and contemplate how it shaped you to believe what you believe. Think the way you think. Interact the way that you interact and live the way that you live and hold that up against God's word. Does it line up? Does it smell and sound like Christ? Does it image, teach, and encourage others in the family of God what he's like and how to keep his ways? For what does, and I'm going to assume there's things that will. Where it does, praise God. Praise God. And ask that he would continue to help sustain that and maybe even further refine that. For what doesn't, repent and turn. Let the false and hurtful beliefs, norms, values, and principles fall by the way and get left behind. Quick pause here. This is not a time where we're just going to bash our family of origin. That gets too, too popular in our current culture, and it's too easy to do. 
So we want to refrain from that. At the same time, we do need to be honest and say that many of us grew up having lies and unhealthy ways of operating reinforced. And many of us have carried the lies and the unhealth into wherever God has you today. And many of us have allowed the lies and the unhealth to shape how we relate to our brothers and sisters within the family of God. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard wrote this. It is one of the major transitions of life to recognize who has taught us, mastered us, and then to evaluate the results in us of their teaching. This is a harrowing task. And sometimes we just cannot face it. But it can open the door to choose other masters, possibly better masters, and one master above all. Gary has something written in that Family of God uh, workbook that you can get on your way out that I want to quote. He wrote this. The gracious work of Jesus provides the power to free us, forgive us, heal us, and transform us to grow as humans who can reflect his love to one another in healthy ways. As amazing as it is, Jesus and his grace didn't just save us and free us from our sin. His grace and kindness toward us did more than that, certainly not less. But he places us also into a healing, redemptive family. In community, he transforms us. As Gary mentioned earlier, we do two themes that we've done for the last uh, handful of years where we spend time looking at in the fall, be with Jesus. And as he mentioned, we did that on prayer um, this past fall. And then in the spring, follow his way of life. As we're with him, in relationship with him, Walking along the journey of life, being healed and transformed by him, let us follow his way. The way that he says is good and right and true. Now, do I want to remind you of this because we're turning on to the on-ramp of an election year? You bet. I sure do. the biting, devouring, and tearing apart of brothers and sisters in God's family that's occurred over the last five to seven years is saddening, but especially so in 2016 and in 2020. Hopefully I've made the case here that it shouldn't be that way and it doesn't have to be that way. And maybe this year, we can interact with one another in such a way that all people might know that we are Jesus' disciples because of our love for one another. That's important to me. But it isn't the primary motivation for all of this. Jesus says, follow me. Do what I do because it reflects and images his glory to him and to others. 
particularly those who don't know him. Moreover, it's the truest, the most beautiful, and the most freeing way to be human. And I want that for you. I want that for myself. I want that for each and every one of you within this family. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that uh, left to our own devices, left to our own wisdom, this is not something that we can do. The biting and devouring uh, would continue and we would act in selfish ways. I thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us, that you have redeemed us, that you've taken our heart of stone, given us a heart of flesh, and through the power of the Holy Spirit have said, you can choose something different now. You can choose love where you may have attacked. You can choose kindness and gentleness where you may have chosen harshness. Jesus, would you help us, please help us continue to be a a church body, a family that is growing individually in our joy, in our knowledge of you, walking freer and freer as we walk in relationship with you. And would that be the foundation from which we interact with one another kindly, with grace, with mercy, with patience. Uh, Lord Jesus, it's, it's your work. Only you can do those things. And we ask, uh, Jesus, that you would. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Gary had mentioned this, but before we do communion, I just want to touch on the genogram uh, again. It's, a, uh, it's one of the tools that's in that workbook that you can get on your way out. It's a tool to help unearth some of the things about our family of origin and its system. It's a tool to help sift through and observe what were the beliefs, the values, the norms, and the principles of your family of origin that may have shaped you. And I use the word tool very purposefully. A tool is used for an end, not an end in and of itself. Take what you got, take what you find from doing the genogram and take it to the Lord. Take it to his word. Ask yourself, what about my family of origin system resonates with what God once reinforced in his people and his family and what doesn't? What might still be living into, what might you still be living into and reinforcing that needs to be changed? Now I'd like to go ahead and invite the communion servers forward for communion. Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.